0: I'm Heidi, and in a moment I'm going to read uh, from Colossians chapter 1 verses 21 to 29. Um, I have really enjoyed doing this study on Colossians and I've had the privilege of going to some of the Monday night studies that Gary has been putting on with NT Wright and probably like many of you I've read Colossians before and Sometimes I kind of wondered, how is this, these words to this church applicable to me? I so appreciate when the history of the time is unpacked and we hear some of the details of things that were going on. But what really struck me as I'm hearing the sermon series and listening to N.T. Wright, I don't know if all of you know who N.T. Wright is, but a super intellectual dude, um, I I don't have a degree in theology. I have not been to Bible school. I feel like, in a lot of ways, I am unqualified to understand a lot of what is written in this book. But what struck me um, through this study and through reading this is the simple and profound and universe-altering truth that is Jesus Christ. And if nothing else, that is what we are to take from this. So I'm going to read now Colossians chapter 1, uh, verses 21 to 29. And this is from the Message Bible. You yourselves are a case study in what God does. At one time, you all had your backs turned to God, thinking rebellious thoughts of him, giving him trouble every chance you got. But now, by giving himself completely at the cross, actually dying for you, Christ brought you over to God's side and put your lives together, whole and holy in his presence. You don't walk away from a gift like that. You stay grounded and steady in that bond of trust, constantly tuned in to the message, careful not to be distracted or diverted. There is no other message, just this one. Every creature under heaven gets the same message. I, Paul, am a messenger of this message. I want you to know how glad I am that it's me sitting in this jail and not you. There's a lot of suffering to be entered into in this world, the kind of suffering that Christ takes on. I welcome the chance to take my share in the church's part of that suffering. When I became a servant in this church, I experienced this suffering as a sheer gift. God's way of helping me serve you, laying out the whole truth. This mystery has been kept in the dark for a long time, but now... It's out in the open. God wanted everyone, not just Jews, to know this rich and glorious secret inside and out, regardless of their background, regardless of their religious standing. The mystery in a nutshell is just this. Christ is in you. Therefore, you can look forward to sharing in God's glory. It's that simple. That is the substance of this message. We preach Christ, warning people not to add to the message. We teach in a spirit of profound common sense so that we can bring each person to maturity. To mature is to be basic, Jesus Christ, no more, no less. That's what I'm working so hard at day after day, year after year, doing my best with the energy God so generously gives me. Please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning, for the people here. We thank you for Rob that is going to bring us your word. And we ask that you bless him and that you reveal new energy and new truths to him as well. We ask that you be with Gary and Sharon and Lorraine and Zach as they glean from new teachings. And we ask that it, it will also be a time of great rest and building relationships with one another. Jesus, we think of those in our church that are suffering from health issues and heartbreak. You know them all intimately, God, and you will meet them exactly where they are. And as we sit in this beautiful place, Jesus, in this beautiful church, in this beautiful city, we ask that your words, this love story that you wrote to us in in the Bible, that it will remind us not to become complacent that we will cling to the simple and profound truth truth of your death and resurrection. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: It's good to be with you. My name is Rob. As was already mentioned in the prayer, and thank you for reading the scripture. She read from the message, which is basically a sermon. After she was done, I was like, "Okay, well, so that's a bit it. That's about it then." <laughs> and uh, great, great uh, uh, interpretation and uh, exposition through that translation of the Bible uh, by Eugene Peterson. Hey, uh, like I said, my name is Rob. I'm from Langley, so I had the privilege of driving in this morning, and um, it was such a glorious day. And Chilliwack is beautiful. I'm jealous. Uh, we have a good view in Langley, too. We can see golden ears and that kind of thing. And it's so awesome when the sun is shining again. Amen? Yeah, we've been in the dark. Uh, it feels like dark for much of January. So it's a beautiful day. And I want to bring you greetings from the Mennonite Brethren churches uh, across British Columbia. We're about 100 churches. And I also uh, want to thank you uh, very, very much for your investment in that community. And. Uh, by giving your uh, lead family in so many ways. Uh, I serve with Gary on the Pastoral Ministries Committee where we credential incoming pastors, and that's a significant commitment that uh, Gary makes uh, to be there uh, with the team, um, reading all those papers and interviewing incoming pastors. Uh, I also work closely with Sharon, who's our moderator for our BC Mennonite Brethren Churches, and you all know that and she is a champion. She has been an incredible rock to our community through tough times, and she gives and gives and gives, and she's got wisdom, and so appreciate her so, so much. And of course, it doesn't stop there. The whole family is giving. I saw Kate here, and Kate's been involved uh, in uh, camping ministry, and she continues to be involved in serving in different boards and Uh, you know people are eager to get Kate to serve on their team for the insights and wisdom that she brings and Jonathan is serving as youth pastor over at Bakerview and helping with that church so and many of others of you serve Uh, you know I saw Art and Lois coming in and they've been involved with camp so that's that's Broadway you're a community that helps support uh, the work that's going on in uh, in our whole province and we appreciate that so much. I've been doing this work for about uh, 10 years, um, and that's been quite a while, and um, so I get to see lots of churches. And I have been here before. I was visiting a Sunday a few uh, years ago, and I'll never forget that Sunday, because Gary was carrying a 12-foot 2x4 up and down the aisles. Do you guys remember that Sunday? Yeah, he was talking about the log in your own eye, and then he uh, got that big 2x4, and uh, and I was just hoping he wasn't going to turn it this way, because I was just I was going to take heads out as he comes across. But uh, uh, I really um, appreciated that message. And uh, and then I was getting ready, and I thought, what should I wear? And I thought, Gary, wear sweaters, sweater, so I'll wear a sweater. And, uh, <laughs> you know, you may think that's not a significant question, but when you visit a lot of churches, you wonder what you should wear. You know, I heard about one <clears throat> old uh, cowboy. He visited a very, uh, very, uh, uh, you know... Uh, uh, a stall you know stodgy kind of a church where the the minister wore robes and everyone was dressed quite nicely I don't know if you have any churches like that you might have some down the road here possibly but um, everyone was quite stodgy anyway this old cowboy he was uh, dirty ripped jeans and uh, dirty boots and he he wandered into the front and sat down and uh, you know the preacher went through his sermon on the way out the preacher this was kind of church where the preacher stood at the back and shook hands with everyone on their way out And as the cowboy made his way out and stopped the preacher, the preacher looked at him slowly up and down at his clothing, and he said to him, listen, you know, if you ever come back here, I'd like you to do something. The cowboy said, what? He said, I'd like you to pray and ask God what you should wear before you come to church. (laughs) The cowboy said, sure, okay. Next Sunday, he was back, and uh, he was dressed exactly the same. The preacher took note, and at the uh, back, he stopped him, and he said again, uh, he said, I thought I asked you to pray and ask God about what you should wear, and he said, well, well, I did, and the preacher said, oh, that's interesting. Well, what did God say? And God said he had no idea what I should wear. He had never been here before, and uh, so, <laughs> I know that's not true of Broadway. I feel, <laughs> I, I feel the presence of the Lord here with you, and uh, I am so delighted uh, to, to look with you at Scripture uh, together, and, uh, and and there's a lot here, and I don't know how you are about time, I don't get to preach that often anymore, so when I do get to preach, you know, sometimes I go too long, so, but if you start getting restless, and I could tell you a joke about that too, uh, but I won't, because there's too much important stuff here, so uh, we're looking at Colossians, you're in a series, that's fantastic, we're looking at a text of scripture, verse 21, uh, to 29, to the end of this first chapter in this letter of the New Testament. And if uh, many of you are, I'm assuming, regulars here at the church. Now, I don't know you. Some of you maybe are visiting. Some of you maybe have come here for years, but, you know, you're just still kind of mm, not quite sure about the Christian message. Maybe some of you have questions about wrestling, about, well, what does it mean to have faith in God? And, and uh, the world has always changed, the world we all live in, you know, so... That's a very challenging situation. We're all navigating life and navigating changing times. And I think the text in front of us has really a lot to say. It's the Bible's perspective, the New Testament, the message of Jesus. It's a perspective to help us understand our relationship with God and navigate life. And whereas the previous verses of Colossians, uh, you know, this is a very personal letter. Um, Gary introduced that. Paul has the author of this letter, uh, this uh, influential person in the New Testament, Uh, who came out of nowhere with his Jewish background, all of a sudden became a voice for the message of Jesus Christ to the Gentile nations, to the Roman Empire at that time. Traveled and spoke and influenced people, and then was writing letters to follow up his visits. Now, the Colossians, uh, this letter is, uh, was not a community, not a city that he had visited personally. That becomes clear as he kind of talks to them about their reputation that he has heard through a friend of his, Epaphras. But Paul did pra- travel in the region, and he often wrote letters that were circular, that were given to other churches to encourage them. And here 2,000 years later, we're reading this letter, and it has a message for us. And it's really amazing how relevant that message is. And as uh, you were sharing uh, as well about N.T. Wright, uh, that's awesome. Such a, a gifted historian and Bible scholar combining his knowledge of history. So that helps illuminate this message and helps us understand it carefully and see, well, what does it say to us in our time? And so the foundation had been laid talking about who Christ is and the his his role in creation and the majesty the transcendence of Jesus Christ really a mind-blowing concept for people at that time thinking that this this young man who had died at a young age in backwater Jerusalem how how could that person be you know there at creation how could he be the preeminent being of the universe How could Paul speak about him that way? And what does that matter for us anyway? What what does that mean for us? So in the verses we're looking at now, Paul's starting to get personal to them and relating who Jesus Christ is to them. That's really important for all of us. We want to know. People have lots of theories about the gods and the creation, but you and I have a personal question. So what? So what? What does that matter to my life? What does this mean to me? And so Paul begins to speak personally. So I titled this message, All We Need to Know. And it's not really all we need to know, but it kind of is. You know, sometimes there's just big things you need to know. When you make big decisions, you don't need all the details. Any of you who got married know this? You didn't know all the details. You didn't know what life was going to bring, but you knew one thing. This is the person for me. And you made that decision, and your life was never the same. So, I'm going to relate our story here a little bit to marriage or this text, but I'm also going to talk with you a little bit about something that I enjoy doing or used to enjoy. I haven't done much of it now, and that's sailing. So, about 25 years ago, I signed up for a course with Power Squadron. Have any of you done the Power Squadron boating course? Yeah, somebody? Yeah, a few people. Yeah, it's kind of fun, and it's this boating safety course. It's Power Squadron, but you learn about navigation, and I was on a sailboat, so that was the part I was interested in. I grew up going sailing with my family, and when I was young, my dad had a, had a boat. He learned how to sail, and then as kids, we went out. We did this in Vancouver Harbour. We had a day sailor. I'd go out with my dad all the time. Even when I was young, I remember, I mean, it was about 16 or 17, I just learned to drive. I took my friends out. We had a day sailor at that time, which means, you know, there's no cabin, no place to sleep. And we went out in Vancouver Harbour. I can't believe my dad let me do that, <laughs> but, you know, a bunch of 16 and 17 year old boys out there sailing around, and uh, we managed, and uh, it's great. But later on, uh, as I, um, I had a family, my dad had a bigger boat, that's a thing that happens with people with boats, they, they, they just get bigger boats all the time, and uh, he had a 36 foot boat that we could sleep on, and I knew that there was a lot I didn't know, I wanted to take my family, so I took this course. And navigation was an important part of the course learning to read charts, that's a naval term for a map, and set a course, etc. So it's a little more complicated than using your uh, Google Maps when you're on a boat. Now, boats can have GPSs, and that's hugely helpful. But even with a GPS, uh, there aren't roads on the water. And so it's still a little more complicated, maybe a lot more complicated. There's two kinds of navigation, there's probably more, but this is what I remember. There's offshore navigation, and there's, then there's navigation that is within sight of land. They call that conning, because you can, you, know, you can recon, you can see the land. I stuck with that kind of navigation. The navigation for offshore is complicated. You, know, you have to, uh, not seeing any land, you're dependent on instruments and charts, and, and it, it takes some knowledge. So, I thought I'm better off sticking where I can see some things with a chart, a pair of good binoculars, but I want you to know it's surprising how much trouble you can get into even with that. There's trouble with tides, there's trouble with commercial sea lanes, there's trouble with sandbars and reefs, and there's weather, and that's just a few of the things that I encountered. There's more. So I learned a respect for the sea. I got my family beached on a few sandbars. Thankfully, the tide came in and lifted us off. I set an anchor in the pathway of a ferry. Not a good option. Thankfully, there was somebody picnicking on the shore, said, that's not a good place to set an anchor. (laughs) And so we pulled that anchor up and moved, and uh, nobody drowned, and I'm thankful for that. But every year, people who think boating is easy, uh, they live to regret their ignorance and lack of knowledge. Uh, So in life, we're also navigating. And often, we think we have a pretty good handle on things. I'm headed here, I'm going there, and it's going to be fun. Others are going there too, and I think I have it figured out. And so we enter into life with that kind of confidence. But as we go through life, and especially in today's world, I think more and more people are starting to recognize that we're actually not managing so well. We're not navigating life so well. We're being, we are raising in our day and time basic questions that we assumed were, we, we had figured out. People today are confused about their identity, their biology, they're confused about the future. There's a, a barrage nonstop of fearful messages about our environment, about artificial intelligence, about disease. It's, it's really a troubling time for people to navigate, and many people are frozen by fear. You know, I constantly hear about our personal information that's being gathered doesn't seem to bother me that much It's a little creepy when my phone sort of feels like it's been listening to me have, have any of you had that experience or or the latest thing that's been happening in the last few months is people are producing um, essays by artificial intelligence like what's the website that you can go to I think Gary used it the other day right this sermon is literally produced by artificial intelligence and <laughs> <laughs> you would never know I guess I don't know I hope you would know. I hope I would know. But it's a strange world, isn't it? And actually, governments in the world today are controlling their population through this. We we kind of know this in the backstory. This isn't just a joke. People are being herded in a direction, controlled, their options and choices being taken away from them, whether they know it or not, by the harvesting of data, by industry and sometimes by, uh, you know, malevolent uh, leadership. So the Bible doesn't have any direct teaching about artificial intelligence. It doesn't directly mention global warming or climate change. But the New Testament was written to a people under an empire that claimed ultimate and absolute power over all people. The Roman Empire controlled things. And they did it by force and by fear. They did it by data collection. We know that right from the New Testament as we open up with the story of Jesus and find out that a census was being taken by the Roman government. They wanted to control taxation. And the Roman government enforced its expectations and control through force and intimidation and fear. The radical faith of Christians back in those days was perceived as a threat to the Roman control. Christians navigated life differently than Rome saw it. Now, Rome didn't really care about religions. They had all kinds of religions in the empire. But what they saw in Christians bothered them. Christians believed in equality in marriage, not something Romans taught. Or, and They didn't feel necessary to meddle in it, but it was different than how they understood it. Christians protected children. They cared for the sick and vulnerable. They believed in just treatment for all people, even slaves. They believed in the sanctity of sexual intimacy within a marriage. They rejected idol worship, superstition, and emperor worship. These things are well documented by an author named Rodney Stark, a sociologist from Texas, who has written a number of books about the early, the data on how the early Christians impacted the Roman world. So these things troubled Rome, and various emperors actually began persecuting Christians, seeing them as a threat, blaming them. So It's important for us to understand in our world, too, that what we're talking about here in our relationship with God, it it impacts how we live in this world. And I'm not going to get into the full, uh, any of the full details here. You're going through the rest of this epistle and as we, the way as Gary put it, uh, yeah, I like that. He says, this is a great book to tell you to stop believing silly things and stop doing stupid things. And uh, maybe that's a good summary too. But as you keep going through this book, you're going to discover, yeah, many practical things that uh, apply to how you live your life and how you relate to the world around you. For those of you, again, that are on the sidelines, this is a great kind of place to look. If you're not sure about your relationship with God or faith in God, it's a great place because it's a window where, where the writer, Paul, is instructing Christians about the thing, the very core things they need to know about their relationship with God. So Colossians introduced this radical new proposition that we already talked about, that Jesus Christ, the man from Nazareth, is no other than the Creator God. The God of, and Father of everything, the physical universe around us, all the realms of reality. He is king and ruler over it. He is supreme, as Gary put it in his message. So these people who are reading Paul's letter, we, we can see that they're all in. They're bought in. He said, Paul is not making a wide-ranging defense for who God is here. He, he assumes that these people, they love God already. They're in. And he wants them to understand it. What has happened to them? They have experienced what some of you and I have experienced. They heard of the love of Jesus, his amazing teaching, his miracles, his sacrifice on a Roman cross, and they received it. They said yes. Something in their hearts said, this is true. This happens. It's amazing. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. I hope all of you do. I hope by today all of you will. You will listen to the message, you heard the message of Jesus, and something deep inside of you, maybe a place you were never aware of, said that is true, and today you have a choice. You have a choice. Will you carry on the way you have been, navigating your own life, or will you say yes to this truth that's in front of you and all that it implies, even though you don't know? These people had done that, and so now Paul is saying yes to them, or he's explaining to them what has happened. He's trying to ground them and establish them so that they don't lose their way, and there were many threats to the Colossians that they might be losing their way. Pastor Gary, I think we'll take you into uh, some of the things. Even though Paul doesn't explicitly say what some of the dangers were for the Colossians, you can tell by the way he's talking and what he emphasizes that there were false teachings going on in the city. Things that were confusing the believers. And so we'll, you, you'll be exploring that in the weeks ahead as you look at that. And you, you'll be able to relate to many of those things. You know, we, we always have things coming down the pike that threaten to confuse us. I remember a few years ago, everybody was reading the Da Vinci Code. Anybody remember that? Yeah, oh, we got the Gnostic Gospels. There's some secret books here. You know, some stuff about Jesus we didn't know. You know, he was, you know, he was possibly married, possibly had a relationship, possibly had some children. Uh, really silly stuff, actually, and, uh, and n- not very historical, not very intelligent, actually. Uh, but people were deceived by that. So, maybe some things like that were happening in Colossus 2. Anyway, so let's jump into our text. Take it a long time for me to introduce. Verse 21, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. The first thing Paul does, when I think in terms of navigation, is he locates people where they are. Actually, this is where they were, but it's still important. It's the starting point. It may seem stupidly obvious with a chart in front of you where you want to go, where the wind in your sails, you're ready to go and a functioning compass, you've got a good set of binoculars, you're going, let's go. But as a sailor, if you don't know where you are, you're in trouble. Even if you can see the place where you think you want to go. There are too many other forces at work, too much confusion on that pathway for you to simply just, oh, i got to set out, that's where I want to be. You've got to know where you are to chart your place so that you can set a course. And so Paul explains to the Colossians something that they knew. And it's kind of offensive, right? I mean, when you think about it, if you're writing, this guy's writing you a letter, and hey, hey, once you guys were so far from God, you were actually God's enemies, God's enemies? Oh, that's, you don't even know me personally. I mean, this is a church he hadn't even visited. And he could say such a thing about them. Hmm. This is a reality of the Scriptures. And a reality I can say to you. You were alienated from God and an enemy of God in your mind. In your thoughts. And in your actions. Alienated from God because of your evil behaviors? And you think, well, I, who, you, that, you couldn't say that about me. You don't know me. How could you say my actions are, are evil? Plus, how could that be a universal, universal statement? I know a lot of good people. I know a lot of really nice people. I know bad people, too. But what Paul is saying here is true about the human condition. We are lost. We are people who are at enmity with God. We don't know God in this world. That's our human condition when we come into this world. When you raise kids, you start, you know, they're so beautiful and innocent. And then they get to be two years old or sometimes earlier. And you're like, whoa, okay. You know, they got a nature. And it's not always good. And as we grow older, we learn about ourselves. We realize and find ourselves out of touch with our own selves, we struggle with that. I don't know who I am I, my own purpose and identity. We experience enmity when we want unity and harmony. Why do we do that? Why are we so at odds with one another? Why are we so easily offended and we end up even harming people, those that we love? How bad is this? My friends, the truth about us is not good. I know you're a put-together people. I'm not trying to be negative about you. You're nice people, I'm sure. I, I'm sure we could be friends. But the truth about us is not good. And all we have to do is look around us. When you take the Alpha course, one of the things they talk about is people, you know, will say, well, I don't really believe in God. The devil I believe in, you know, he advertises. People know, can, they know this about the world. There's something wrong. G.K. Chesterton is famous for uh, his answer. He was an intellectual and a Christian uh, back in the early 1900s. Maybe Gary shared this story with you. It's a bit famous. The London Times put out a question. They used to do that to readers, invite a response. The question was, what's wrong with the world? G.K. Chesterton sent in a letter. Dear sirs, in regards to your question, what is wrong with the world? I am yours truly, G.K. Chesterton that's the right answer it's not out there it's in here it's in each one of us it's not those bad people it's not just the putins and and the other people that we call evil i'm not saying they're good but it's in all of us you and i may not be convicted of a crime but we're all in cre- created with an incredible capacity for good we have intelligence abilities opportunities we're endowed with gifts and we fall short It turns out that evil within us isn't just the negative things we do, it's the good things that we're capable of that we don't do. Through our own neglect, selfishness, complacency, we find ourselves far from God. The more honest we are, the more we must admit that the problem with the world is not liberals or conservatives, not vaxxers or anti-vaxxers. The world with more people like you and me is still a world with evil in it. And where does this come from? Some people say the devil made me do it. A lot of people today say it's a lack of education, it's the environment, it's my family, it's the genes I inherited. But the Bible says that we're enemies of God in our mind because of our evil behavior. That's what Paul says. Now that may sound very negative, but I want to tell you that's good news. You are not the product of biology and have no choice in this world. That would be bad news. If everything you did was pre-programmed, then what's the point of life? But God holds us accountable. Okay, that's threatening, and yet it's hopeful. Okay, so I have agency. I'm accountable. I thought that was true. I have choices. It matters how I live. Now, is there hope here? Is there some answer? And there is. We'll get to it in a minute. Uh, I think this is a big question, though, is where does evil come from? And uh, I just was reminded of an of a accident that happened. This is a navigational accident as well. January 13, 2012, you remember the Costa Concordia was a luxurious cruise ship that was wrecked just off the coast of an Italian island in relatively shallow water. And this avoidable disaster, 32 people were killed. So there was an, an extensive investigation as to what the captain was doing. It turned out that the married ship captain had sailed so close to the island to impress a much younger dancer with whom he was having an affair. Great. There we are. Our shining humanity coming through and all the consequences. So it's not just blaming other people or blaming our environment. It's us and the choices we make. And that's where we are. So getting an accurate plot is the first place to be now where are we headed where could we be going where are we meant to be and here's the hopeful part verse 22 and i will speed up going through these verses so but now he has reconciled you but now he has reconciled you by christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation but now god has reconciled you they knew this, and Paul's explaining how this happened by Christ's physical body through death. That's an interesting thing. Why does he emphasize that Christ died physically? Well, there was a, a, a ideas called Gnosticism that we know about a little later than when this book was written, uh, this letter was written. But it's possible that those ideas were already existent at that time, and they were kind of like Greek philosophy that the body doesn't matter; it's just the spirit, and. Um, And and this isn't a Christian view. It's not how God made us. He made us body and spirit. not just our mind. So, you know, when artificial intelligence comes up and says, oh, we just want to, you know, plant some things and keep your mind going and your body will die and that's not what matters. Or we hear teaching about sexuality. Your body doesn't matter. It's what's going on inside, your, your authentic self. It's like, no, God made us physical beings and Christ died for us physically. It's not an idea. He took on our humanity. Now, what God will do with it after death, we're just waiting with bated breath and Other places in the New Testament explain that. don't worry about that. They said, don't you know that a seed planted comes up to be a beautiful plant? And you could have never seen that. And that's how it is with the new creation. You don't know what God will do, but your physical body is not meaningless. It's important. It's so important that Christ took a physical body and died on the cross. Through death, that this is the seed of the gospel. This is the message that was proclaimed, that was radical and transformative, and it's stated here in legal terms. Some of us are bothered today. Why? Well, how could God be judge? You know, that's not fair. Listen, the message of salvation—that what Paul learned when he was a Jew and he knew all about judgment because they had the sacrificial system and they were keeping the laws to try to be righteous before God. And he found out that no person could be righteous, but Jesus Christ lived a righteous life like no human in history and took death in our place. That's a great mystery. There's an explanation for it. God took our sin, and it's like a legal exchange. He gave us righteousness for our sin. What a gift! Who could deserve that? It's even crazy legally. How could that happen? That's God. It's a great mystery. But this is what Christ did on the cross. This is why the cross is so central in the church. It represents that place where God intervened in human history and changed the destiny of humanity. He died for everyone. His perfect, sinless life, this person who embodied the creator, the supreme being of the universe, came to this earth in humility And took our sins upon himself on the cross. The whole gospel account is purposeful to show us that Jesus lived to die. And after he died, rose again in victory. And the purpose, so that we could be presented free and without blemish. Oh, this is a great picture again, with legal terms. Free from accusation. Innocent. Innocent before God. You say, well, I'm not an innocent person. No, but God has declared you the the only person in eternity whose opinion matters, the Bible tells us. We'll all stand before the judge of the universe. And that judge is saying, I have given you a way to be declared innocent and to be restored and reconciled. Reconciled. To return to a relationship that language is important god's reconciling people to himself that word reminds us that it's a restoration of something and we know that from the beginning god had good intentions for humanity right that's how he made us for communion with him he made a garden he made relationships he made beautiful things he made nature all around us all this world he blessed us and created us in his image this good god has a good plan for us he's a good good father and he's restoring everything. And he did it through Christ's physical body. So how do we stay on track? How do we keep navigating the course? And this is a good question. The Colossians maybe are thinking this and they're hearing this message. Okay, so how do we need to stay on course? And this is kind of where I think Gary's going to help you understand in the rest of the letter is that there probably were some voices around Colossians saying, well, you've got to do this and you've got to do that. Actually, a lot of the New Testament letters are concerned with that because there's various people saying, okay, 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 now you trusted God, but if you want to keep on going, you've got to do these things. You've got to keep these rules, you've got to eat this way, only this food, and you've got to celebrate these feasts. Or, well, you've got to be in church on these days, these three days, you've got to do these things and prepare, prepare this way. And Paul's saying, no, 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 no. All that rule keeping, all your plans, all the human ideas and rules, laws, they never did anything to help you get to God, and they're not going to help you keep with God. It's a really simple answer. Kind of reminds me with Bob Newhart Counseling. For some of you who have ever watched the Bob Newhart Counseling, simple answer. Three words. You might want to write them down. You can remember them. These are it. Ready? Are you ready? Three words. Remain in Christ remain in Christ. You could make it another way. You could say, stay the course. You go, well, that's kind of obvious. I'm wondering how I stay the course. By by staying the course. Stay the course. Remain in Christ. Keep the faith is another three words that he uses. (laughs) My favorite movie of all time, Master and Commander, the tattoos across the sailor's hands. Do you remember them? Hold fast. There's a two-word answer. Hold fast. Hold on. You have been reconciled to God. Now remain in Christ. Now this is an amazing picture. Paul writes to them, keep, if you continue, verse 23, in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out to you in the gospel. This is the gospel you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant says, it's the gospel, the message of the cross, of Christ in you. And this is, so this is a, a really amazing concept. So, remain in Christ, a preposition, in. It kind of locates us. It's a location, a, a preposition of location, in Christ. Unusual language. The heart of this message is that new life is in Christ. You are now in Christ. So, if you're wondering again about your Christian faith, Paul says it this way in chapter 3, verse 3. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. The death of Christ is God's invitation to you and to me to leave the past and hold on to the cross. And when we say yes to that offer, Christ comes to us in intimacy to dwell with us. This isn't new to Paul. This is what Jesus says to his disciples. Remember in Romans or in John 15 was Jesus talking to his disciples just before his crucifixion. His words to them in verse 4 remain, chapter 15 verse 4, remain in me, abide in me, live in me, and I will remain in you. So God is inviting us in a relationship. The creator of the universe in Jesus wants a personal relationship with you and I. It's not just an idea, not just a philosophy, not a religion. He wants to indwell you. Weird, right? Could be weird. I mean, really? Is that like indwelling me? What does that mean? It's in me, you know? It's a spiritual reality, obviously. It's not physically with us. But every person who opens their heart up to this message experiences something internal in their spirit. It's like an awakening. Jesus said, it's like being born again. And Nicodemus the Pharisee said, that's crazy. How can a person be born again? Jesus said, how can you not understand this? It's a new life in you. And many of you have experienced it. I hope all of you have. I hope all of you will before you leave today. You say yes and a new thing begins in your life. A new horizon is open, a new way of thinking. It's a new identity. I love that song that we started with. I'm loved by him, it's who I am, it's who I am. See, as you go along as a Christian and you realize how God loves you, this this reality of God's love in the relationship becomes so significant that you realize it's your identity now. The most important thing about, that you need to know about me is that I am loved by God. I am a friend of God. Not perfect. And that's true about you too. You are loved by Him and God is within you. And that makes you my sister and my brother. And there's this beautiful little phrase, in Christ. I'll give an illustration of being in that's, that the Bible uses often, but it's not, it's, it doesn't actually measure up to, to the reality of what Jesus is talking about. So my mom is 92. She fell last week, which isn't good when you're 92. And so she's in Langley Memorial Hospital. She's got a fracture in her thigh, and she can't get out of bed. My dad is 89. I think he's 89, yeah. He's there every day, all day. He will not leave her. He goes home at night. We take him food. He's still driving. My dad is struggling, cause, but he won't leave her. I look around the hospital and <laughs> like I don't see that often. You know, you don't see that often these days anymore. Maybe you have some couples here who have been together a long time. You know what this is. They will not leave. In a marriage, the, the husband and wife are not in each other the way Jesus is talking about, but it's the closest thing we get in human relationships to that. When you marry someone, you, the, you, there's oneness together, physical oneness, but it goes way beyond that. The more you're married, the more that person's thinking and personality inhabits your own and yours theirs. When you start out, a, a man and a woman marries, a, the other person is kind of weird, you know, we had some interesting dialogues about maleness and femaleness when Janet and I were first married. I said a lot of stupid things about that at that time. You know, men just think they're smarter. It's partly the male ego. Oh, I'm, we're this way, we're that way, you know. But as years go on, I realize, eh, not really. <laughs> and it doesn't mean it's still always easy, but I'm a better person, not just because she cares for me, loves for me, and ac- loves me, and accepts me, but because I'm learning about her way of seeing things and thinking. And maybe to some degree, she, mine, we're stronger and better together. Now, when we come into a close relationship with God, He doesn't smother us, He doesn't control us, He created you, He knows you. He's not interested in controlling you, He's God, if He wanted to do that, He could do that. He's not that kind of a person. He wants a relationship with you. And he's going to work. And and friends, this is the creator of the universe. This is the transcendent being that holds the universe together. I can't dictate or tell you how he's going to relate to you. It's unique in each person. But I can tell you this. He's not going to control you. You don't need to, like, go into a seance to, to hear God in you. He speaks to you. And it's very important, though, that all of us grow in knowledge. We have to know who God is. Just like in a marriage, you've got to get to know the other person. If you don't, you're not going to get the benefits. If you don't bother to know that person, if you don't ask a question, if you don't listen, you're not going to gain the benefits. It is the same in your relationship with God. Knowledge of who God is is part of the fuel that guides you and enables you to have a meaningful relationship and be by, guided by God. You learn new things about Him. This is amazing. God reveals things, and where does He reveal them? In the Word. That's why Paul is writing to the Colossians. He wants them to know things about the God who they have opened their life up to. So, all around us, people are struggling with matters of identity. They are sailing in a fog, being told that the only compass that they can trust is the inner compass of their feelings. Some are dreaming that science will chart the, uh, chart the course to a great new future. Some believe that being authentic to our feelings will leave them fulfilled. And the message from God's heart to us today is what you need to know to navigate is all in Christ. The life you are seeking is in harmony with God. And it will bring harmony in yourself, for your purpose, and in your relationships. And you're invited to this journey. Paul laid down his life for it. That's the verses, verse 24. He says, look, I'm actually suffering for this purpose. And this is a, a good little side point for you. Anybody who's a messenger uh, should have credibility. If they're, if they're carrying a message and living hip, a hip, hypo, hypocritical life, hypocrisy, it's, it, it, it's not good. And there's many people today doing that, right? Religious people hawking ideas pocketing a lot of money or manipulating people. You just hear about it all the time. And it's horrible when Christian leaders do it. Paul just says, listen, look at my life. I'm suffering here for this, and gladly, because that's what Jesus did. God gave me this commission to present to you this message in the fullness. He says, this is a mystery hidden for ages, now revealed to us. To them God chose to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom. See, he's teaching knowledge with wisdom so that you can understand who God is, so that everyone may be presented perfect in Christ. To this end I labor and struggle with all his energy which so powerfully works in me. Another illustration of Christ in him. He's like, I'm just working my butt off with all the energy of Christ working in me. I have this unique, amazing partnership. That's how we navigate life in Christ. Wherever you are, wherever you are on your journey, you may be just checking things out. Maybe you've been negotiating life on your own terms. And maybe it's just beginning to dawn on you that you're not at all certain about your destination. And maybe the people you've trusted in the past have let you down. Wherever you are, God, the God who created you, loves you. He wants you to know he's reconciled you to himself in Christ. He is longing to be your captain, your navigator, your friend. You will never regret The day you say yes to him and to the love that he is reaching out with to you in Christ. How do I begin a relationship with God this way? Yes. That's the answer, just yes. I believe. I receive. And if you've been, called yourself a Christian for a long time, but you realize you just, Been that kind of a person just going, I'm not doing enough. I'm not being a good enough person. i got to try harder. I failed here. I failed there. You're being knocked off course. God's Word is saying to you today, in Him, that's it, in Him. Grounded in Him. Let Christ be in you, guiding you. Focus on that relationship. Begin listening and attending to His voice. Yeah, may the Lord just have mercy on each one of us and uh, guide us in how he wants us to respond, what his invitation is to us. Let's pray together. And uh, maybe in my prayer, I'll just uh, pray again that invitation to Jesus to come and be the center, be within me, within you. And uh, if that's something you want to do today, you can do that in your heart in prayer. And I would encourage you to talk to somebody here, talk to your pastor the friend who brought you or uh, someone that you know here at the church and share with them that you want to begin that journey with God. Let's pray. God, we thank you today for all that you've done for us in Christ and we are forever and eternally grateful that you reconciled us to yourself through Christ's physical body and all, all that he suffered for us. Now we thank you that you also invite us to a personal and intimate relationship that we might be in Christ and he might be in us. Lord, teach us this week and in our days ahead how that we can continue to abide, to remain, to live in you and to navigate life under your leadership. Lord, for those of us who are struggling with our own sense of identity or lostness today, just saying, I don't know about where I'm headed. I pray that you by your spirit would bring clarity and that each one of us would be able to say today, Jesus, I acknowledge I am a sinner and far from you in my thoughts and actions. There are things I have done that are wrong and many good things that I have neglected. I receive your forgiveness and I say yes to you. Would you come and guide my life? And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.